As I mentioned earlier, it's our privilege to have Dr. Neil Cabell with us. He's going to be preaching, sharing God's Word, sharing a little bit about his ministry. And uh, I trust that as he preaches God's Word that you'll be challenged, you'll be impacted. So Dr. Cabell, thank you so much. And preach strong. Like I need to tell him that. Anybody who's ever heard that. Two weeks ago, I uh, preached for the first time. Uh, in a long time, I thought, if I could make it 20 minutes, I'll be doing good. They told me afterwards I went 35, so hang on. <laughs> uh, it's a privilege to be here. Uh, I remember back in the days when we started, your church started, we became as an evangelist, and uh, worked with Pastor Dave Burgraff, and then of course, there was a transition to his brother, Wayne. Of course, Wayne came on as youth and song leader uh, while Dave was still pastoring. And uh, those were good days. I, uh, I have a, a, a fondness in my heart for Faith Baptist. And uh, these days, I... I'm a little bit emotional, so forgive me. Uh, I, uh, I I just counted a, a privilege to serve God, and uh, some folk have asked uh, what's going on with you. Uh, a year ago, February, they told me I had Parkinson, and uh, that wasn't exactly good news. Uh, but we got to a place where we could handle that. It's not as bad as we thought it might be. But in August uh, of this past year, they told me that I had cancer of the liver. And uh, so uh, we uh, had to face another hurdle. And the same week, uh, one of my brothers died. So it was a, it was a tough week. But uh, I won't go through all the stuff because it's, it's, it's just not, I, you don't want to hear it all. Uh, but uh, they came to me uh, and said, Brother Cadwell, they didn't say Brother Cadwell, they, uh, but they said, you've got six weeks or six months and uh, you've got liver failure and uh, so I'm supposed to die this month. Uh, and... Uh, one thing I know, God's in charge, and uh, I'm just thrilled that I can be here, and uh, I want to do uh, a little promoting for you. Again, I want to say a couple of things about the ministry in Ukraine. Uh, first of all, we have a book back there, just published it. It's called From the Cornfield. I was born and raised in Iowa. Uh, from the Cornfield to the Mission Field. And uh, my wife will be back there. And uh, if you want to buy 10 or 15 or 20, that'd be just fine. Uh, we brought a few of uh, our uh, choir at SBI singing. Of course, it's in Ukrainian. So you may not be interested, but if you are, there's a few of these available. There's nobody that can sing like the Ukrainian can sing. 
uh, I just always thrilled every time I choir sang, and they did uh, absolutely an outstanding job. I, uh, as far as our ministry in Ukraine, I of course don't travel over there anymore. I stay home. We work, keep my wife and I keep the office going. And after 86 trips over there and back, I guess the Lord decided it was time for me to slow down. And uh, so whether I wanted to or not, I've slowed down. And uh, I, I, I miss the Ukrainian people. I love them. Uh, it's uh, hard to... to think that I can't keep going back, but that's part of God's will for my life. And uh, so I'm, I'm thankful for everything he's allowed us to do. In the DVD, it said we've got two orphanages. We now have three orphanages that we support. Uh, this last session, they told one of our pastors uh, that we've got two orphans for you to, to come and get. They got there and found out they were all related. There were seven of them. They're all related. So the pastor went home with seven orphans instead of two. Uh, and, uh, but it's a bit of a, a real ministry. One of my dreams was that when we put the money, and, and Americans have been so generous to, to give us money to, to run the ministries over there, but uh, to be able to... One of my goals was that we could get these orphans in these homes under the leadership of godly pastors who they would grow up, get saved. Uh, when, when they get, leave the state orphanages, 80% uh, of those who leave the state orphanages either end up in prostitution or running drugs. And here with these pastors, we have a whole different lifestyle for them. They get saved. They live for God. And my goal was that maybe one day we would have some of those orphans as students at the Slavic Baptist Institute. This last session, we had our first orphan as a student at the school. And I tell you, that'll make uh, a Baptocostal shout. Uh, it, uh, I, I was just thrilled. And of course, I pray that there'll be more just like that. We also have started uh, taping all of our classes, and we're going to start having online classes where anybody that speaks Russian, whether it be in Russia, Kazakhstan, Turkmenistan, wherever it might be, uh, Belarus, if they speak Russian, they can take these classes, and eventually we'll be able to graduate. So that will expand the ministry of the Institute far beyond uh, what it's been in the past. When we had a change in leadership and the conflict on the eastern side of the, of the country, our attendance dropped some, but I believe that with this new ministry, we're gonna be able to reach even uh, just scores more. We now have about, I think with our graduation in May, we'll have close to 170 graduates from the Slavic Baptist Institute. And we have, have students serving in uh, seven different countries. We have one in China serving as a missionary. 
And uh, we just, God has blessed and expanded that ministry. And uh, we're, we're just extremely thrilled about it. Uh, I thank the Lord that uh, we're able to be here this morning. And I trust that I can keep you awake and uh, that we can uh, rejoice around God's word. I, I'd like for you to take your Bibles. And uh, before I go, I got to ask my wife, have I left out anything I was supposed to say? Uh, she, she always reminds me, you should have said this about, you know, and, and I try to remember, but uh, sometimes I don't do a very well, a very good job. Uh, Mark chapter 1 in your Bibles, please. Mark chapter 1. And I want you to notice verse chapter 1, and we're going to begin uh, when I get my glasses on. Uh, at verse 35, Mark 1, 35, the Bible says, And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place, and there prayed. And Simeon and they that were with him followed after him, and when they found him, they said unto him, All men seek for thee. And he said unto them, Let us go into the next town, towns, that I may preach there also. For therefore came I forth. And verse 38 basically will be our text this morning. But I want you to notice with me, first of all, the preparation. Secondly, I want you to see the plan. Thirdly, I want you to notice uh, the practice, and fourthly, I want you to notice the purpose. Verse 35, the Bible says, And the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed in a solitary place, and there prayed. I want you to notice he rose early. Too many people, I think, try to put God on the end of the day, tack him on at the end instead of starting the day with God. A football player doesn't go out and play football and then come home and come back to the locker room and put his equipment on. He puts it on before or he'd be sorry he didn't do that. But we have numerous examples. I, I jotted down a couple of examples of Martin Luther King, uh, not Martin Luther King, Martin Luther uh, said he had so much business to do that he had to pray at least three hours every day before he could really do what God wanted him to do and do it effectively. Samuel Rutherford rose at three o'clock every morning to pray. John Welch, and this is to me an unbelievable uh, testimony, but he uh, he spent, he felt like he wasted the day if he did not spend at least eight to ten hours a day in prayer. Can you imagine that? Eight to ten hours a day in prayer. You say, I know we live in a different day today. We live in a different society. We, we have a, a different lifestyle, but certainly... Uh, he felt like prayer, obviously, was very, very important. Adnaram Judson 
spent two to three hours in secret prayer every day. And Robert Murray McShane, who was one of my favorite of the old back-in-the-day preachers, he said that uh, he needed to pray before he ever looked on the face of anybody else. My friends, you hear me. Too many times, prayer is tacked on at the end of the day. We need to begin the day with God. The Bible says, rising a great while. I, uh, I remember when I was uh, in Bible college, uh, I got burdened by senior year about uh, spending more time in prayer. And I, I went to authorities and said, I'd like to be able to get up at 4 o'clock in the morning if I could. And there was a dirty old dusty room way down the bottom of Pillsbury Hall. And I went down there, and I would get there at 4 o'clock in the morning and spend time in prayer. My friend, hear me. If you're going to be blessed of God and used of God, prayer has to be part of that lifestyle. Uh, uh, listen, prayer, that's more important than reading the sports page. That's more important than listening to the news on the television. I mean, prayer is something that ought to be uh, a genuine, real part in our lives. And the Bible said he rose up early. He rose up early. Uh, we, uh, we, we just need to realize that that's uh, part of the Christian life. And I, I could spend a lot of time this morning talking about prayer. I could talk about how prayer has uh, done miraculous things for us in Ukraine. The doors that have been opened, uh, the opportunities. Uh, I, it's not because I am anything. It's because we ask God. And he says, you have not because you ask not. We need to pray in faith believing. We need to need to pray according to God's will. And notice, not only does the Bible say that he rose up early, but the Bible said he went to a solitary place and there prayed. That's the key. That's the key in your prayer life, finding a solitary place. Matthew chapter 6, and the Bible talks about entering into the closet. Do you have a place where you get alone, where you spend time in, in prayer with the Holy God? Uh, no, I, 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 I want you to turn with me to the book of Exodus, please. Uh, a portion of scripture that always has challenged me. And uh, Joshua chapter 33 And eventually I will get there. Uh, if I can find the book of, jo uh, did I say Joshua? Yes. Uh, it's Exodus, I'm sorry. Exodus chapter 33. Uh, and I want you to notice with me, uh, Moses and Joshua have gone up into the tabernacle and uh, uh, Moses is having a meeting with the Lord and uh, notice in verse 11 and the Lord spake unto Moses face to face uh, 
as a man speaketh unto his friend. And he turned again into the camp. Moses is done. He's done his business. He's ready. He goes back to the camp. But notice what it says. But his servant, Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of their tabernacle. Joshua is saying, hey, uh, Moses is done, but I'm not done. I, there's more that I need. And, and I'm going to tarry here. I'm going to wait here. I'm going to meet with God. And he departed not out of the tabernacle. You know, uh, praying is more than a five-minute ditty before you go to bed at night. It, it, praying is, is when you get alone with God and you meet with God. And not only do you talk to God, but you let him talk to you. Let him tell you what you need and what you ought to be doing in, in your life. I, I, I like the idea that the fact that he departed not out of the tabernacle. Uh, we don't go have, we don't stand in the middle of a street somewhere, a busy intersection, and have prayer. That's not where you do it. You don't go to the, to the mall and stand in the middle of a mall and say, Lord, it's time for me to have prayer. I mean, now, we can pray anytime, anywhere. I understand that. But certainly, if you're going to have that time of entering into the closet, a solitary place, you're going to have to find a private place where you can do that. So I want you to notice that uh, uh, there is a preparation that took place as far as uh, this ministry here in Mark chapter 1 is concerned, as far as uh, Jesus Christ was concerned. I want you to know, secondly, the plan. In verse 36, the Bible says, And he said to them, Let us go into the next towns. He had a, he had a plan. He, he, he had a, a reason for doing what he was doing. Uh, and the, we need to, uh, Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, the Bible says, go, go ye. Uh, and that's, that's, that's the plan of God. That's the plan of Jesus Christ. We're to go. The Bible says in Mark chapter 16, verse 15, go. Uh, someone has said you need to put the go back in the gospel. And that's how you spell gospel, G-O. Uh, and, and folks, I, I like what you're talking about for your evangelism class, this REACH program. Folks, listen, it, it's not just going across the ocean that makes you a soul winner. Not just going across the ocean makes you a missionary. It, it's something that beats in your heart as a child of God. You're soul conscious. You're, you're, you, you see people that are lost and you have a burden for them and you have a desire to win those individuals to Jesus Christ. Uh, and not only did he say, let's go, he said, let's go to the next town. That's not what it says. He says, let's go to the next towns. In other words, uh, his plan was not just to win people in one area, but to spread out with the gospel, to go wherever he could with the gospel. We think of, uh, 
the Apostle Paul and his mission trips. Uh, he made many, many mission trips, and he didn't go to just one place. On his first mission trip, he left from Antioch, who went to Seleucia, then to Cyprus, then to Salamis, then Paphos, before he went back to Antioch. He was always thinking about the next place. I can, uh, many, many times as we've left uh, <clears throat> where we have our school, the Grace Baptist in Helaminski, Ukraine, as we drive down the highways and the roads, and all these villages, I mean, scores of them, town after town, village after village, with no gospel preaching church. Nobody expounding the word of God and trying to get folks saved in those communities. Folks, listen, there are people sitting here. You might be 25, 35, you might be 50. That's how old I was when I started going to Ukraine. That's how old uh, Brother Derek Thomas, who now heads up the institute, 50 years old. Carl, 51 years old. Uh, you're never too old to serve God. And there are those sitting here who've never waved the white flag of unconditional surrender and saying, Lord, here am I. Use me. Take me. I'm willing to do it. I'm willing to go. Do we ever be able to reach into these villages and these towns? Uh, as we mentioned uh, on the DVD this morning, one of the, the most exciting things that the students enjoyed while I was uh, over there all the time, back and forth, like I, uh, we would have a missions trip. After every May session, we'd go into towns, and uh, it was, uh, the students counted that as one of the high part. I have students even now who will send me emails and, and talk about the impact that those mission trips had in their lives. I remember one village we went to, uh, we, never, we never planted a church, we never started a church without a mother church. And uh, a pastor was to set things up so we could go in and uh, we would spend a couple of days blitzing the town with tracts and invitations. And then on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, we would have gospel services. And we would take that nucleus then and have Bible studies that will eventually evolve into planting a church. And uh, some of our students said, that's, that's the most exciting part. Uh, folks, hear me. There's more in this world than having a, a new car and, and a comfortable home and, and, and all of the trinkets and the baubles and the bangles that, that the world has to offer. We have an opportunity to go to hundreds and scores of towns and places where the gospel has never been preached. I, I think of one day where we preached Sunday morning and uh, and we were going to preach in another place. And sometimes I wonder how in the world they find these places. Uh, I mean, we drove down a, a road 
turned into a gravel road and literally drove through a cow pasture to get to the town where we were gonna have a service. We got to this uh, little town, drove through the middle of it, stopped and went to a home. Uh, 65 people gathered in this little house. 65 people came. American had never been there. And an American had never been there to preach the gospel. And, and uh, I, I wrote an article called In the Mid Nowhere or Somewhere. Uh, and we were, we were in the middle of nowhere. I, like I said, I don't know how they find these places. But they go, we go in and we preach the gospel. Folk get saved and, and churches get planted. And uh, our, our students counted that as a as one of the high points of their four years at the Slavic Baptist Institute. And we did it every, every spring. Then I want you to notice, not only did they have, by the way, I don't see a clock. I don't know what time it is. Uh, so uh, people say that's okay, okay. Uh, I want you to notice thirdly, the practice. Uh, Notice he said they went to the next towns that I may preach there also. That's, that's the, he didn't say that I might go there to teach. Now, nothing wrong with teaching. The Bible talks about teaching. I believe every good preaching ought to have some teaching in it. Uh, there's a place for teaching. But he said that I may preach there also. In other words, this was a normal practice of his to go to these towns and to preach the gospel to tell people about the Lord Jesus Christ uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 uh, and uh, again bear with me as I turn there sometimes with uh, the parkers in the hands don't do what they're supposed to do uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 uh, at verse 21, the Bible says, For after that, in the wisdom of God, uh, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. In verse 23, But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks, Greeks foolishness. Now, it doesn't matter how you preach. You don't have to preach loud. You don't have to pre preach soft. You, you, don't, you don't have to be eloquent. You, it's just the fact that you preach the gospel. That you stand up and tell people about Jesus Christ. About Christ dying on the cross. Being crucified. Dying for the, the lost sinner that they might have eternal life. Let me ask you this morning. How many of you are, are mad and angry because you're saved. Yeah, doesn't make much sense, does it? But the truth is, uh, uh, the president of Moody Bible Institute, back when I was just 14 years old, went to a Bible camp. He was the speaker, and uh, he told me about Jesus. I got saved, and I've been angry ever since. Hey, I'm going to heaven someday. Not because I deserve it. Not because I, 
I was born in Iowa, not, not, not because of anything I've done, but because Jesus Christ died on the cross and somebody told me about Christ. And I don't think everybody in Lebanon is saved yet. I, you got a lot of religiosity. I mean, as we drove around, I made a wrong turn getting here. We went by probably a half dozen, eight churches. Uh, that doesn't mean you're saved. But if you trust Christ, and that's why we need men. And that's, listen, that's what we're doing in Ukraine. We're training natives. We're training the nationals to win their own people. And uh, I, I could sit here and just tell you story after story after story of how God has taken men and used them. I got a call the other day. I'm afraid of, I may mess up my outline here, but I've done that before. Uh, but I, I got a call uh, from a fellow that used to interpret for me. He spent about five years interpreting Anatolia. He said, Brother Cadwell, he said, Mary and I are planting a church in Chernivtsi, a town of 300,000 people. They're planting a church. I said, hallelujah. Here, one of our interpreters, he, he got the vision. He, he saw the need. Uh, 300,000 people. Uh, now there are other churches there, but uh, he will have a fundamental... Uh, you see, uh, here I go. Uh, they really didn't understand what it was to be. They don't understand what it is to be an independent, fundamental Baptist church. They, they, they brought a lot of the union and all that stuff with them, and uh, I keep telling them, I said, when I was going, uh, I said, y'all don't understand what it is to be independent. You don't have to bow down to anybody. You don't have to go to a hierarchy somewhere. I said, you go out here, get folks saved, plant a church, and build a church for the glory of God. And then about two weeks later, uh, Sergey, who was my interpreter for 15 years, and the best interpreter of all of Ukraine, he said, Brother Cadwell, Vera and I are planning a church. I said, oh, glory. Uh, another, I, I mean, these guys are doing it on their own without us even having anything to, to do with it other than they sat at our ministry and picked these things up and learned these things. And uh, I, I tell you, it, it gets me excited. Uh, the Bible says not only to preach uh, uh, unto the next towns, but that I may preach there also. In other words, he goes from town to town. He's reaching the multitudes. And that's uh, what the Bible talks about. In Matthew chapter 9, he had compassion when he saw the multitudes, the multitudes. How many people do we walk by, and I'm just as guilty as you are, of, of letting people walk by and never telling him, never talking to them about Jesus Christ. Uh, even though I've not been able to go back and forth to Ukraine, my wife and I have been involved with trying to win Chinese students from Ball State University. And 
uh, we, we believe we're getting close to winning a couple of them uh, to the Lord. And, and also, uh, because I'm under hospice, I'm not today because they leave state. They won't let me be under hospice while I'm gone. But uh, we have the opportunity. We've been working with a lady, praying with a lady about her son who has gambled over a million dollars uh, because of addiction to gambling. Another one of our nurses, is her son, is addicted uh, to heroin, to drugs. Uh, folks, they're, they're everywhere. They're everywhere. And, and we have opportunity to reach out and, 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 and to love people love enough to witness to them, I love them enough to take the gospel, show open the word of, open the word of God that they might trust uh, Christ as their personal savior. Then I want you to notice, and I, I, uh, I may be going short, I may be going long, I'm not sure, uh, but I want you to know this last part of the verse. For there came forth I forth. For therefore came I for the purpose. He said, this, this is the purpose. This is the reason. This is what it's all about. Uh, he, uh, and again, we, we see the, the fact that God has sent him, that Jesus has gone forth, and uh, uh, I think of uh, Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 8, and there are other verses, but I, I'm, I'm going to skip to this verse uh, this morning. Isaiah chapter 6, a portion of scripture that you're familiar with. In fact, I, if I went back in my book far enough, I could probably preach this message here in times past, but I'm not going to preach that message uh, you can relax. Uh, but in Isaiah chapter 6, uh, and I want you to notice verse 8. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I. Send me. This God is a uh, 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 God is a sending God. He sends people out. John chapter 20, verse 21, he says, so send I you. What, what are you doing with your life? What's important in your life? I uh, I tell folk I say the most important most exciting thing there is is serving Christ and I believe that with all my heart I never believed it God reached out of the Iowa cornfield. Say, I got a place for you. 
I never dreamed I'd ever leave the state of Iowa. Never dreamed I'd ever leave the state of, country of America. Never dreamed that I'd be to over 60 countries in the world. God took a nobody, a hunk of clay. He said, I need somebody to go. And I've, I've gone, and though I'm not going like I used to, I still want to see folks saved. I still want to see the gospel preached. And I still, I, I, I try to make it a regular part, part of my prayer life. Uh, Lord, I want to be in the center of your perfect will. Just because I'm 76 doesn't mean I have to quit. I'm willing to do whatever he wants me to do, even in the situation that I'm in. And I don't want anybody to feel sorry for me. There's nothing to feel sorry about. He's blessed me. He's blessed my wife. He's blessed to have the privilege to serve him. To serve him. I'm not important. It's his cause that's important. It's Christ that's important. He's the one that needs to be lifted up. He's the one that needs to be exalted. And I, uh, I guess I could go on and on and on. But I want to challenge you today. And uh, what what time is it? I I need to know where we're at. Eleven forty-one. Oh, twenty minutes. <laughs> well, I. I just, uh, I want to challenge you. As you go into your sacrifice Sunday, your month, your planning, uh, we've got to pray. We've got to be willing to give. Listen, I couldn't have done what we've done in Ukraine without churches like yours. Your, your church has been so generous to us, and we've been able to accomplish uh, much because of generosity. Uh, there's no church that has been more generous than this church has been to our ministry. And that allows us, to, the camps, uh, it's. I tell people the camp is, is. Uh, it's the best buck for a dollar, best dividend for a dollar. It's uh, hundreds of kids get saved every summer, and uh, 
I, I just, I, I thank God for Faith Baptist. I, but I, I, I challenge you, uh, what can you do for God? Have you, ever, have you ever got on your knees and said, God, here am I, send me 